0: Hey hey beer fans, welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn.
1: And I'm Drew Beecham. Together we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Bad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, available at all your finest retailers. Now, between the two of us, we have over fifty years of homebrewing experience. I think that's right now. Yeah, uh, it's around the I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas.
0: And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and finding out if I'm right.
1: And on today's episode of Holy Crap, It's a Normal Episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> normal. I don't say you can call it normal with us involved.
1: Well, fine. It's back to our usual format. It,
0: it's normal for us.
1: <laughs> uh, and so today we're going to be do- covering some beer news. We're going to be doing some talking about what we're doing in the breweries. Before we get to the lounge, where we're going to be talking to Luis and Roxy Garcia of the Tijuana Homebrew Club. Uh, we recorded this interview at HomebrewCon just to talk about what goes on in Tijuana with homebrewing and the beer scene in general.
0: And before we do any of that stuff, we're going to take a quick break here so you can listen to these messages. This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super-fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art. They're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. We're kicking off today like we always do with some announcements, and I'll let Drew go first.
1: Right, and so if you haven't checked your feed, go double check your feed because the last episode of the Brew Files is up and running. And I sit down with Jen Blair uh, to talk all about foam and carbonation, why you want good foam and how you get good foam. So go and listen to that. Go and learn and make your beers with better, rockier heads.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. You know, I hear people go, well, I don't want foam on my beer. It takes up room in my glass. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. You have no aesthetics.
1: Well, let me even actually talk about that a little bit because, you know, we have both had experiences with, with like the old grumpy guy who's like, you're wasting my money. Yeah like
0: that. right. Yeah, yeah yeah.
1: Foam matters. Foam
0: is, foam is made of beer anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, don't forget that Hop and Brew School is coming up at Yakima Chief Hops in, of all places, Yakima. It's going to be happening August 29th through September 1st. A uh, Great event. This is like the 8th or ninth time I've been there. Uh, it's just more fascinating every year. You get uh, lectures from people who uh, grow and work with hops. You get to tour the fields and farms. You get to tour the processing facilities. It is a really, really fascinating inside look at the world of hops. I highly recommend that if you're free and you can make it to Yakima, then do it. Uh, it, It's a great time. There's lots of fun, lots of education, and lots of beer.
1: Yeah, and lots of dirt that gets
0: into your shoes. (laughs) That's all you ever talk about is the dirt in your shoes. Because
1: my shoes still have the dirt in them. I (laughs) I could grow proper Yakima hops with some of the dirt (laughs) I brought back.
0: That's very, very true. (laughs)
1: But no, I, I agree with you, though. It is a great time and a great opportunity. Yakima is like one of those really, you know, hysterically fun small towns in a way. You know, it is is very rural, but also very centered on this one industry. Uh, Well, actually, two industries, I guess, if you include the apples. But who cares about
0: apples? Yeah, right, right.
1: But yeah, lots of rural stuff in the area, lots of chances to learn and see a side of the brewing industry that we never see before. And besides, there's Bailbreaker
0: yeah no kidding man i i always use uh the hop and brew school as my opportunity to pick up a few cases of bail breaker and bring them home
1: there you go now don't forget you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on apple Podcasts. you can click the aha or byo links on the website And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is...
0: Our new charity for this part of the year is the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation. These are people who take rescue dogs and train them to do searches after disasters. I mean, you've seen these dogs working like uh, earthquakes, building collapses, that kind of thing. And the fact that they're taking rescue dogs and giving them a whole new life makes it even, even better. So please go to experimentalbrew.com, click on the Patreon link, throw us a few bucks that we can pass along to the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation. They'll appreciate it. It will improve your karma. <laughs>
1: and we all could use some additional karma, particularly as we head into the feedback segment. Our favorite time. <laughs> it is, after all, now your time for feedback. <laughs> And we got a couple of pieces of feedback, but as always, if you have feedback for the show, you can always email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com, or you can text us at 626-765-1-ALE. Uh, we will cover those numbers again later. But our two pieces of feedback, one comes from uh, Trent Mushu, who uh, runs the YouTube channel The Brew Show, and you got to meet him at uh, Humber didn't I uh, did. Yeah, and so it, it, Trent writes in to say, "So awesome to get to finally meet both of you after having been a fan of the podcast for years. To refresh your memory, I was the guy who came up after your talk and told you I made a hazy IPA with chanterelles inspired by Denny's wee shroomy and I remember this conversation." Um, well, I happened to document the whole thing in a video and it's up on YouTube. We will include a link to it, but basically uh the video is titled Unleashing My Inner Mario Brewing Hazy IPA with Mushrooms. Boy. <laughs> um as you'll see, it is also inspired by Super Mario and his love of mushrooms. I've always been curious about adding mushrooms to beer since I first heard about the Weed Shroomy, and maybe I'll try some other types and other beers in the future. Anywho, I thought I'd share this since it was definitely a wacky brew, and I thought of Denny as I made it. Keep up the amazing work with the podcast, and maybe we can get some more ukulele, please. Trent, I was really right up until that point. <laughs> well, and just to remind people, the reason to use the chanterelles like you do on the Weed Shroomy is not because it gives mushroom flavor, but it's because it gives apricots, right?
0: Yeah, right. That's kind of an earthy apricot flavor. And to tell you the truth, I have a hard time imagining this in an IPA, uh, hazy or not. But, you know, I didn't taste the beer. So if Trent says it works, then I'll take his word for it.
1: There we go. But, uh, yes, more clever use of mushrooms. And, boy, chanterelles, that's expensive. Unless you live <laughs> someplace where they grow yeah, on trees. Yeah,
0: I, mean, yeah I, I think that he said he foraged them, but I don't really recall. I would, I would have to imagine you'd have
1: to forge them. I mean, like, if you went to go actually buy enough chanterelles, like from a, even from a farmer's market, that's a pretty expensive prospect.
0: Yeah. I a pound a gallon. And, uh, you know, you're lucky if you can find them for 25 bucks a pound.
1: Yeah. So uh, hopefully you can forge some chanterelles in your area. Our second piece of feedback comes from King Collins, who says, thanks for your tip to use boron fruit puree on the AHA farm and fruit, fruit, fruit puree. There's that phrase.
0: <laughs> Boiron fruit puree. Yeah, yep. just slow down. It's easier to say. Yeah, no,
1: no reason to slow down. It's <laughs> a real nice product, and today I added two liters of blackberry puree in 2.75 gallons of must that I started on May 31st of the year. I didn't see the need to strain the puree, and I just poured it in the fermenter. I usually use Oregon fruit puree. See, that's that stupid word. But I couldn't find it in stock. I took a small sample today of the mead, and it's delicious. I'll let my wife taste it then. We'll decide if we need to add another liter of puree. My wife loves mead and I make it for her because she's not a beer drinker, but she will drink some homebrew, especially Belgian dark strong ales. And I always try to keep my great wife happy. Good idea. Always keep your partner happy. Uh, also, I'm hearing a lot about dip popping and I don't know much about it. Maybe that's something you could talk about on your podcast with Drew sometime. One final comment. I love the West Coast IPAs with crystal malt. All right. So we got a couple of things to cover here. the The Boron product. Uh, we 're probably going to be talking with those folks pretty soon, but that 's a product that 's coming from our friends at b s g or they 're distributing it I should say um, and yeah they had a they had a whole setup at Humbercon offering samples of things mixed with the puree and they tasted pretty good to me
0: yeah it 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 's really, really good stuff uh, you know it 's like minimally processed uh, it 's packed in uh, in aseptic cartons and generally stored cold. Uh, I got some samples of it that I was very, very impressed with. Uh, I don't, I don't make fruit beers, as many of you are aware, but it was great mixed into a smoothie or something like that. I mean, and, you know, all I was trying to do was assess the flavor, uh, in case, uh, you know, somebody asked me if it would be suitable for making fruit beers. Uh, I recommended it to Ken. He used it in a mead and, uh, sounds like he really enjoyed it. So, uh, if any of you are looking out there for a fruit product, to use in your brewing, mead making, whatever, uh, I would highly recommend checking out the on stuff.
1: And then dip hopping, we talked a little bit about it in relation to the Denny Kong uh, right. idea that y'all would have heard about recently. I don't know, maybe if you if you haven't, we would talk more about it. Um, but dip hopping is sort of a newish technique. I think what was originally developed by the Japanese, right?
0: Or yeah, Sapporo
1: described by the Japanese.
0: Yeah, was it Sapporo, or Kieran? One of them.
1: Yep. Um and then basically it 's a way to do a i mean I think the summary that i i kinda get my head around it is it 's whirlpool hopping in a closed space right.
0: Yeah, yeah. W- without a whirlpool. Uh, yeah. Basically, basically, you take a hop charge, put about 10% of your hot wort right on top of it. Well, you know, hot, I guess you cool it down to 170, 180. Put that on top of it and let it sit while you finish your boil, chill the rest of the wort, and put that in. Uh, haven't done it yet, but uh, it's a pretty interesting technique.
1: Yeah, and again... This is going to be one of those things where, since it's hot wort in a fermenter, uh, we do not recommend that you do it with something (laughs) plastic that will melt, and we really, really do not recommend that you do it with something glass that will do funny things that glass does.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, You know, you're better off melting plastic than shattering glass.
1: Absolutely. And as for Ken's final comment about IPAs with crystal malt, sometimes. Sometimes for me.
0: <laughs> you know what? And that reminds me I still have some that I got to send down to you. I just dug out a box to pack them in. So, Yay. I guess I, I guess I better get them off before UPS goes on strike.
1: There you go. All <laughs> uh, right. And speaking of beer, I think I first go have one.
0: All righty. We're going to head over to the pub, have a couple beers, and we'll be right back to meet you there. Experience a one-of-a-kind hop and beer education event. Yakima Chief Hop's 20th Annual Hop and Brew School will be held August 29th through September 1st in Yakima, Washington. Come celebrate the excitement of Yakima Valley's hop harvest. Hop and Brew School is a highly interactive educational event surrounding every brewer's favorite ingredient, hops, hops. Attendees can expect farm and facility tours, presentations from industry leaders, professional panel discussions, and advanced sensory experiences. Registration is open, and tickets are limited. Visit Hoppenbrewschool.com Yakima to reserve your spot today. I'll be there, and I hope you will, too. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Summer is the perfect time to embark on a homebrewing adventure. Join the American Homebrewers Association for one year and receive a free brewing book of your choice to fuel your experience. Discover the pleasure of enjoying your own cold, crisp beer on a sunny day. Plus, get a free book to spark your beery inspiration. So, join the American Homebrewers Association and start tapping into the joys of brewing. Head to homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental for offer details. That's homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. back we're sitting in the experimental brewing pub at the corner of everywhere and nowhere somewhere in cyberspace and we're drinking a couple beers and uh drew has something interesting today
1: yeah so on my way back from home Con, you know since it's near me or was near me i drove back and i drove through the little sleepy town of murrieta california which is just north of temecula and i decided you know what drew that's an hour and a half worth of driving I think you deserve something to drink and something to eat. And so I stopped at a place called Solaris Beer and Blending and (laughs) happened to run in a couple of friends. Hi, John. Uh, And got pulled uh, pulled into the brewery and shown the wares of the joint. And one of the beers that they were most proud of and I think was pretty dang awesome is a beer that they call RMS French Pilsner. What is a French Pilsner, you may ask? And I think that's a perfectly valid question, because as far (laughs) as I can take away from it, this is essentially an Italian pilsner concept only made with Aramaeus hops, right? So French hops on it. Um, And the Italian pilsner sort of being that gently dry hop suffused beer, right? So take a pilsner, sort of a northern German style pilsner uh, inspired idea, give enough hop bitterness to it, and and then just dry hop it so that it just goes... Supercharged with all sorts of fancy aromas from non-standard dry hopping hops, in this case, Aramaeus. It is crisp and dry like a pilsner should be, but at the same time, it is an almost overwhelming mouth experience just from the amount of hop on it. Uh, and so, like a lot of things in the trends in this world, hoppy loggers are kind of rad right now. One hopes that kind of continues. Uh, and uh, this is a pretty good example of that idea.
0: You know, and I don't know if it's uh, pronounced Aramis or Aramis, but I thought it was a pretty clever idea to use RMS in the name of the beer, which is, you know, kind of like a phonetic pronunciation of the hops. Although, to those of us in the audio business, RMS has a totally different meaning.
1: Yeah, and there are a few different meanings about it in the computer world, too. But in this case, I would highly recommend uh, Solaris. And they're not just doing things like this. In fact, I kind of view Solaris as sort of being almost the city version of the next place that you're going to talk about once again.
0: <laughs> yeah, once again, I am having an Ale Song beer because I had one of these the other day and it was just astounding. It's uh, it's called a Piquette, and you may know Piquette as a wine term where the pomace from the wine is re-fermented after. Um, after the wine is, is done, and uh, and, and uh, there's a wine made out of that. Yeah, so, well,
1: I think very very important, let's back up for a second. The pomace is basically all the leftover grape matter after I, pressing. Right. So, yeah, there's still a lot of stuff in there, and, you know, traditionally there's a whole giant tradition of making sort of table wines out of it with, like, a little extra sugar and the juice and that sort of thing, so...
0: Right. And as I've mentioned before, uh Elsong is next to a very very large and well-respected winery. So uh they they do a lot of kind of symbiotic things there. So uh Elsong uh got a hold of some pommes from them, put it in some French oak barrels, uh went to the cellar, picked the lightest beer they had, which was a grisette, and uh, aged it in in the, uh, in the oak barrels on the pommes. Has kind of a uh, Oh, a, a, a kind of a reddish pink color to it. Um, the grisette itself was just stunningly good. Uh, a nice bitterness and hops that blend well with the brett in it. And then you add that pomace in to get a little bit of that fruitiness in the back. And it is a just delicious, delicious beer. And uh I'm you know, I always say, well, most of you won't be able to get these beers, um, and this one is even going to be harder because it was never bottled.
1: Yeah. Well, and I will say about Piquette and whatnot. Um, if you're in a grape growing region, then it is. I am. Uh, maybe you're not. Take uh, take a look around and find when your local winery is doing something, or your local winemaker friend, home winemaker friend, is doing something, and actually work with them. You can you can probably get the pomace off them without much problems because. It's waste product
0: for most people. Yeah, they're just going to throw it away. Yeah, Uh, And uh, Elsan does a lot of beers, you know, with must also from from the winemaking process. And so, you know, you may have that opportunity also if you live in a winemaking region. Yeah,
1: and I would highly recommend actually playing around with blending wine and beer. In fact, I think we need to do an episode on that before too long because there is the whole idea of Italian grape beer. I have done many saisons back in the past that blend wine and and beer together. Uh, it's an interesting technique and wins some different flavors. So those are the two beers that we're drinking, and it's time for us to cover the beer news, and I can't think of any story that we have to talk about more than this one. Because, uh, you know, we've talked in the past about the struggles happening in the beer industry, and now the struggles have finally hit something that I think shocked a lot of people. Uh, even, even if you were paying attention, probably shouldn't have been shocking. Um, and that, of course, is Anchor. And what's happening with Anchor. Now, as we're recording this, I think it was about, what, a week ago from the time we started recording this, uh, Sapporo put out an announcement that effectively they've ceased operations at Anchor. And Anchor Brewing Company is going to be kaput. No more. Gone. Oh, boy. So, obviously, a lot of hue and cry in the beer world about this, right? Like, Denny, you saw a lot of people kind of losing their gobs.
0: Yeah. Definitely so, man.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think first things first, uh, and Denny, you you put this out there too, Uh, businesses fail. This is what happens with businesses over time. Um, However, I think the reason why Anchor is hitting people so hard as opposed to a lot of the other brewery closures that we've seen over time is Anchor and the whole story of Anchor is is such a foundational cornerstone in the myth of craft brewing. In America, right? So yeah. you you start to get into craft beer, you learn about Anchor, and you hear the same story, you know, like yeah, this 150 year old brewery, 127 year old brewery, depending on which date you choose, <laughs> yeah, was failing in the mid '60s, and this sort of hippie rich kid who was living in San Francisco having the beer at the old Spaghetti Factory, being told, oh, well, look, if you don't if you didn't, you know if you don't have it now, you're never going to have it again because the brewery's is closing in a week. And uh, Fritz, being the rich hippie kid that he was, went and basically bought a 50% stake in the brewery. And I think this is 1965. And so this is, of course, during the time when everybody's like, beer, it's cold and wet and yellow. And Anchor was sort of a, a weird, you know, throwback. And, uh, you know, then the story continues. Fritz builds the brewery back up. By the time they get into the 70s, the brewery's actually profitable. By the time they're in the 70s, he also goes and opens the brand new brewery which is the one that I think was the anchor brewery, the one in Petrero, uh, and then inspires lots of other craft brewers that, to be. Uh, you can see in the ledgers, you know, selling beer to Jack McAuliffe, who founded New Albion, seeing it selling to Ken Grossman, Sierra Nevada, all these guys, you know, in those ledgers early. And obviously this was a big inspiration. So um, that's the reason why I think this really rocked so many people's worlds, Right. Not because, oh, you know, it's a business that closed, but it's a business that is foundational to what we think of when we think of craft beer. Right? Right. Um, And so this all gets really put into motion in 2010 when Fritz uh, sold the brewery. Because, I mean, look, by 2010, he was an old retired man who wanted to play around more in his distillery and his winery than, than the brewery. And he sold it to the Griffin Group, which were the same guys who brought in Sky Vodka. And their whole their whole thing was well we're going to bring Anchor into a new age because even in 2010 Anchor kind of felt a little old right a little like a little behind the times in terms of what they were doing and eventually in 2017 Griffin did exactly what a company like them would was going to do and they sold it to Sapporo now the rumor on the street is Sapporo bought it because they wanted to be able to have a facility local to the US to brew Sapporo beer okay that makes sense lots of people do that. However, buying the Anchor Brewery to do that seemed like the worst idea that you could do, because that brewery is not set up to do this, and I think that's something that was discovered, at least if you believe that story. Um, and then a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people complain about this and saying, well, you, you know, uh, the problem with Anchor was Anchor went and did a, that rebrand, and the rebrand was a disaster. Um I think that's putting too much credit on the rebrand.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: I mean... Sapporo did the rebrand because the brand was failing, and they did the rebrand in order to try and capture some new attention, so trying to say that, oh you know the rebrand is the reason for the failure, I think is putting the cart before the horse. Um, I don't think personally the, the rebranding was whatever it was. It was a change of logos, fine, you know what I mean
0: uh, yeah, it, it was I mean you know it was a, a big change, but that wasn't the reason that they uh, were having problems.
1: No, and so this whole sudden closure is sort of very weird. I mean, give you an idea, they, they had 600 barrels of beer scheduled to be brewed in August. It's 600 barrels for a brewery the size of, of Anchor it is ridiculously tiny. I mean, that, that place could crank out way more beer. So, obviously, they were having a lot of problems. And earlier this year, we had talked about on the show, they, they announced a pullback to only doing distribution in California, trying to find buyers. Uh, Nobody came forward before this announcement, and now it looks like there's a couple of efforts going, um, one of which was a bunch of independent investors, you know, because, hey, look, San Francisco, tech millionaires. Maybe we just need another board-rich hippie kid to go buy the place and revitalize
0: it. (laughs) Uh Let me point out that Fritz was an Iowa hippie like me. We (laughs) uh, grew up just a few blocks apart from each other.
1: And you should go call him up and say, hey, Fritz, remember me? Um, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so there's that going on. The Employees Union, because uh, Anchor was a union brewery, uh, has also reached out to Sapporo and said, hey, look, give us some time. We'd like to be able to put together an effort to buy the brewery. And Sapporo has actually responded with to the affirmative on that.
0: Yeah, so, just just a few hours ago, as a matter of fact.
1: Yeah, so hopefully, I mean, that that would be rad, you know, uh, having the Anchor Union own the brewery and run it. And here's why it's important to me, um, because again, Denny, like you've said, brewery shut down, business is closed. Yeah. Um, it's important to me because of the one thing that a lot of people aren't talking about is how much support Anchor gave to the world of homebrewing here in California. And so, every year, from nineteen eighty four to about i want to say about twenty seventeen or so uh, anchor ran a annual competition the anchor California homebrew Club of the Year award, and the Maltos Falcons won it six or seven times yeah go team uh and it was originally suggested by one, some of the folks at the uh the draft board uh, homebrew Club up in San Francisco area i think they're on i want to say they're on San Leandro i can't remember um but they, they suggested, and then, oddly enough, they won the first one. Hmm. Um, but what Anchor used to do was they would invite the winning homebrew club to bring all their members to the party uh, or to to the brewery. Uh, they'd invite representatives from all the clubs that applied to come to the, uh, to the brewery, and they'd throw a party. And it was like a, a multi-hour affair where the brewery staff made a barbecue chicken dinner with corn on the cob and all this other sort of stuff, all the fixings. Dining out on the brewery floor, and if you've ever seen pictures of the the Anchor Brewery, uh, you know how pretty this was. It's a giant German copper facility. They literally shipped the brewery from Germany, from an old German brewery that was shutting down, and reassembled it here in the States. And this party would go on, the taps would be open, uh, and it was a hell of a time. And the thing that they would always do is they had a a trophy. Because, of course, you had to have a trophy. And it was this weird, wooden, multi-level tower Stanley Cup thing uh, where every year had a different plaque on it saying, hey, you know, this year the Baltos Falcons won. And at the very, very top of the tower was this little, I say little, not so little, this copper mug that was designed to be slotted in and out of the trophy. And the copper mug was built with the leftover copper from when they actually installed that new brewery. Uh, It was built by one of the last coppersmiths here in the in the US. And the thing's about a quart. It's big enough that it kind of covers your whole face. And what they would <laughs> and what they would do is they would they would fill the mug up with some beer and they would bring it out to the club president of the winning club, uh toast everybody there, and then the club president would chug the mug. Or if the club president was smart, he would share the mug with the club. Um I was not smart, I chugged the mug. Um and of course at the time it, you know when you do it Everybody would be sitting there cheering, going, Old Foghorn, Old Foghorn, fill the mug with Old Foghorn. Most people did not do that, because most people have at least enough sense of self-preservation not to do something that stupid. Uh, Because, again, it's a quart of beer. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, when when I did it, I chugged Liberty, because I have a sense of self-preservation, but not that much. Um, (laughs) And, yeah. I will tell you that like one of my best beer experiences is just the the memory of cold stinging hoppy bitterness coming out of that mug and sort of covering your whole face and like a full 360 beer experience. Um, and right now, actually, I will tell you with the, regards to what's happening with Anchor, the one thing I want to know is where's the mug? Somebody find Somebody get that mug into the, into the Smithsonian. Um, but the reason why I was not surprised at Anchor closing down was what had happened over the years with the party. At, after Fritz had sold the brewery, the party sort of became lesser and lesser, shorter, less generous. And then eventually, after Sapporo bought it, it became a matter of, oh hey great, you guys have won the, the competition. Send us a recipe, we'll brew it and we'll put on on display at the taps. You know, their little public spot. So suddenly the party was no more it was just, hey we'll we'll brew a beer in your honor. And that that told me a lot about sort of the the relationship that the brew is now having with its local community, right? And, and the enthusiast community.
0: Man, really, that just kind of tells the whole story there, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah. But again, I want to know where the damn mug is. <laughs> I don't care about anything else. I want the mug. I want the mug to be safe, preserved. It belongs in a museum. Yes, yeah, that's right. As, as someone would say. <laughs> <laughs> so, Denny, any other thoughts about Anchor?
0: No, man. I mean, it, you know... It's sad to see it go. I hope that uh, the employees are resurrecting it because uh, that would be the ultimately best outcome. But it's like like I always say, you know, things change. And uh, that's, just, that's just one thing. And the longer you're around, the more you see things change. And uh, you get upset about the things that matter and you get less upset about things that matter less.
1: Yeah, but like I said, I mean to me the reason why I think people were reacting so much with anchor was just because of that foundational cornerstone aspect.
0: Oh know. yeah, I agree, but all you know, everything all things must pass. How's that?
1: <laughs> there you go. Uh, speaking of hippies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> all right. Enough of that. Let's go brew something.
0: All right, we're gonna head over to the brewery when we come back. Stick around, it'll just be a minute. Belgian yeast from Y Yeast's Culture Collection pioneered the way for brewers to create unique beers during the craft beer revolution and grow their popularity to what it is today. Our summer legacy curation highlights four of these strains that have been top specialty yeasts for nearly 40 years. Always available in our activator system that proofs your yeast and shortens lag time are strains 3522 Belgian Ardennes and 3944 Belgian Whitbeer. These proven choices are well-suited for many styles, including Pales, Blondes, Doubles, Whitbeers, and Belgian-style IPAs. And for a limited time, try our seasonal favorites, 3463 Forbidden Fruit and 3942 Belgian Wheat. No matter what balance of fruity esters and spicy phenolics you prefer, these strains will complement your summer brewing plans now through the end of September. Catch up on our latest blog posts and learn more about this release at yeastlab.com. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new AirStill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small batch two-in-one distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug and play. The Airstill Pro Call and cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Welcome back, and welcome to the brewery. Today, it's Drew who's going through brewing frenzy. So uh, let's figure out what the plan is here.
1: Right. So if anybody paid attention, you would have remembered that I was talking about for the Falcons' 50th anniversary or 49th and a half birthday party at HomebrewCon, uh having a bar of classic beers. And uh, that didn't happen uh, because reasons. Um, and so I, our 50th anniversary is actually literally next year. Uh, which is sort of strange, but here we are. And I decided for Southern California Homebrewers Festival, which you all know that I love dearly, that we were going to do this 50th anniversary bar for that party. And so now it's down to planning out 13 or 15 different beers, depending upon how many people I can get, uh, to actually do this. Cause here's the logistics challenge. I can't brew all this myself. Nor should I, because some of these are other people's beers that, that they're known for, right? So, John Acheson, who's an old-time club member of ours, uh, he's going to brew up his Adam beer, which was inspired by Hair of the Dog years and years ago. And, you know, reminds me, I should probably have him on to talk about Adam beer. But, um, you know, do his Adam beer, do his Bohemian Pilsner, because he's one of those weirdos who loves to actually do decoctions. I don't understand it, but there we are. Um, actually as we're recording this tomorrow the club is going to be at Firestone Walker and we're going to brew our brownie wine which was our big rum and tequila and bourbon barrel aged barley wine that was brown that we did with Firestone Walker back for the 40th anniversary and so we're rebrewing in a smaller batch with Firestone Walker uh, listeners will remember that I talked with Craig Shaplin about his triple IPA we're going to have the triple IPA on this classics bar because why wouldn't you? And then we're going to do things like my Falcon's claws, one of my Saison's, you know, that sort of thing. Um, now the, the other one that we're going to do, and I'm going to get somebody to talk about this as well, because boy, I'm, I'm still absolutely tickled at the fact that, that my club, which is known for you know being one of those early guys out there trying to do everything and make fancy beer that we couldn't get in the grocery store and clean and clean all that stuff like Budweiser, is very well known for a beer called Doug Weiser. And so I'm going to look forward to trying to figure out how to redo that beer because that actually involves an American cereal mash with rice lava.
0: With what?
1: Rice lava.
0: Rice lava.
1: Yeah, because when we're to make the beer, you, know, you go and you dough in your uh, your row right? Yeah. yeah go throw that in. And in a separate kettle, you take... Rice, you know, good old uh, standard white rice that you ground up into grits, you know, or something smaller than grits, and you boil it with a minimum amount of water. And it is, it is liquid hot magma. I've been burned by this stuff once before. It's not fun. Uh, and so we've always referred to it as rice lava. And (laughs) because, yeah, the whole process, you know, remember, I'm the one who just made fun of doing a decoction, right? Yeah, Uh, because of the amount of work it is. This is what you have to do in order to make the rice lava. Grind up the the rice. A lot of people use either a blender or they'll use a Corona mill. It's like the best use of a Corona mill, right? It's actually what a Corona mill is for. Um, Grind it up, bring it to a boil with a minimum amount of water, right? You're not trying to cook rice like you're trying to do al dente perfect rice. That's not sticky and fluffy. You know, you're trying to turn this into porridge. So as little water as you can, bring it up to a boil get it to a boil, cook it for like 10, 15 minutes, stirring constantly. Uh, And then once you do that, add ice water to it to bring it down to 155 degrees. And this is still really sticky, gluey stuff even at that point until you add like two pounds of turo to it that you've crushed. And it's the weirdest thing in the universe. All that rice lava, the second you add the grain to it, slackens.
0: Well, that's why they usually recommend when you're doing a cereal mash, you add some of the grain in.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's what we're doing here, and you're also using the <laughs> grain to you're also using the grain to start jumpstart some of the the um, conversion, right?
0: Yeah. Um, so it, it sounds like basically kind of a standard cereal mash.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's totally a cereal mash, but like I'm making like, again, I'm saying here, I'm the guy who was just making fun of doing a decoction. Yeah. And now I'm talking about doing a cereal mash because apparently I'm a dummy. Yeah, apparently so. And I'm inconsistent, but this is a beer that that we're really <laughs> known for. And so that's going to go onto that bar. So I would love to hear from people, yeah, if you've ever tried to pull off a project like this, what's the best way that you managed to do, like, all the logistics, right? I've got a Google spreadsheet with all the beers in here that we've targeted, must-brew-by dates, who's going to brew it, you know, uh, and start tracking the status. So far out of 15 beers, one of them's actually been done. Uh, And yeah, you know, I just want to see what people are thinking out there for managing a project like this, because boy, is it going to be weird? The other thing I thought was funny was when I asked the club to vote on beers we're known for. And I even asked people from outside the club too. The weirdest thing to me was that in that whole collection of beers, there was only one IPA and that was it. Wow. Yeah. Just it kind of goes to show like the, the focus of, um, uh, of the homebrew clubs, right?
0: Right. So, there we go. That's
1: what I'm getting ready to brew, except for I'm also getting ready to brew something else that was inspired by a listener, right? So, to set the stage for what's coming next, uh, Denny and I were hanging out at the Homebrew Con, and we got approached by a listener who looked at us and said, you know, all right, which one of you is the better brewer? And <laughs> that's a fun question, isn't it? You no, know, wait, oh. wait Way to surprise somebody uh, right out of the gate.
0: I mean, I, I don't think that's a question that even has a real answer, but we decided to well, we decided pretend like it, it. it did. Yeah.
1: yeah, and so we we sat there and said, well, you know, I mean, look, the, the truthful and actually correctly diplomatic answer is we're both better at different things, right? Like, I, I would totally give Denny the edge on making an IPA. I would totally give me the edge on making a Saison, right? That yep. shouldn't be terribly surprising. Uh, The one place where we got into a sticking contention was who can make the better triple.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's pretty obvious it's me.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. So, to answer the question of who can make the better triple, we are each going to make a triple and then have it independently judged and see who comes out on top.
0: Yeah, did we, like, uh, pick Palmer to be the judge? Well, uh, Palmer, I
1: think we'd also roped in Mike Brennan. uh, Oh, yeah,
0: that's right. That's right, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, it, it probably need to get Annie so that she can be saucy with both of us.
0: I think, I, great, I, that's three judges right there. I think that would be great.
1: <laughs> so now, the question is, listeners, who do you think will brew the better triple?
0: I would say they have as much idea as we do until the <laughs> beer is actually made.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I or a little <laughs> idea. Well, I know, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always fascinated to see what people will do. Yeah, are we are we doing spices? Are we doing no spices? Yeah, oats? No oats. What are we doing? Yeah, because I think I would be surprised if you and I actually weren't all that far off on where base triple recipes were.
0: Yeah, uh, it's probably pretty close. Uh, I, I can tell you right now that mine is Pilsner malt and that's it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and mine's usually uh, Pilsner, sugar, and maybe a touch of aromatic. And that's it.
0: Yep, yep, yep. I I used to do all that other stuff, but I, I've cut back to just Pilsner and sugar.
1: It used to be an adventure, and then I took an arrow to a knee. Um, <laughs> sorry, I've been playing a lot of Skyrim recently, folks. Um, but yeah, so we do not have a timeline yet for this, but uh, I figure triple is not too bad to do here during the summer months, as I'm sweating in the brewery. Uh, but it'll be it'll be fun to see what happens. Uh, now we just actually have to make this a thing. Yeah. So but- when is your party? Yeah. Uh, oh, the 50th? Uh, yeah. It should be next October.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah, this is, this is kind of like on your procrastination schedule then.
1: Oh, yeah, but not the triple throwdown. The the 50th right. anniversary of no, no, no. is. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Although I do have one beer I have to brew next month in order to at least have it have a shot of being ready for the October party. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so uh, that, that will be a lot of fun because I – Accidentally blew through all of my uh, Falcons claws at uh, HomebrewCon.
0: <laughs> Oops. You took it to HomebrewCon. I didn't even get any.
1: Uh, well, you left Club Night before you, before you even wandered over to our booth.
0: No, I was uh, your booth was the first one I went to. Ask Ed. Oh well,
1: yeah, but that's Ed. Um, <laughs> no,
0: it it, it it was
1: on tap there. Well, you missed it. I, yeah, I did. I I'll did. It. Although, speaking of that, and completely apropos of nothing else that we've been discussing except for Humberton, did you have the Norwegian uh, the Norwegian beer?
0: The Norwegian? Was that the weird barley wine?
1: No, 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 no. This was uh, Dan Pixley, uh, a.k.a. Milk the Funk. Oh,
0: aka, yeah. No, no, I definitely did not. Yeah.
1: Uh, a.k.a. Uh, Snafu. Somehow got his hands on actual Norwegian farmhouse beer brewed in Norway fermented in the Norwegian way, uh bottled in plastic PET Pepsi Max, I think, uh soda bottles, <laughs> and stowed away in luggage from Norway to the US. And you know, brought a whole bevy of it to his club's booth at uh HomerCon Club Night. Also oddly enough at Solaris Brewing Company. What I also thought was really funny, I remember back in the pub when I talked about being at Solaris and having beer there? Right. Uh, turns out that since Dan lives in Las Vegas, he was also driving, and he stopped at Solaris before HomebrewCon and dropped off a couple bottles for them to try. And so when I showed up there, they're like, "Have you have you tried this?" And I was like, "Yes, I did." So, like, <laughs> somewhere in Southern California and Nevada line, there is a whole line of plastic bottles of Norwegian farmhouse homebrew being distributed around. <laughs> it was. It, it, I, I will say right now, people said, "Well, do you like the beer?" I said. I liked the experience.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yep.
1: <laughs> I liked the experience. I'd never probably have ever had the opportunity to try that again. So that was at least fun to
0: try. You know, I'm, I'm really kind of sorry. I missed it because no matter what it was like, let's it, 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 like you said, it would have been an interesting experience to try it. But
1: yeah, I mean, particularly brewed with bread yeast and well, that's yeah. a very particular <laughs> variety of bread yeast. You mind. <laughs> um, But, yeah, definitely an experience, and part of the reason why I like going to things like HomebrewCon, next year will be a curious experience.
0: Yeah, yep, yep. Well, it's it's always a curious experience in one way or another.
1: That's right. And let's get on to something even more curious than HomebrewCon, and that's Luis and Roxy.
0: (laughs) At (laughs) HomebrewCon, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to have an interview with uh, Luis and Roxy Garcia and talking about homebrewing in Tijuana. Stick around. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. About a couple people who we really, really needed to interview for the show, uh, Luis and Roxy Garcia. Uh, we got in touch with them. Drew sat down with them for a while to chat, and that's what we got for you now.
1: Yeah, I think you were off signing things at the Y both when we did Probably. But, but uh, I cannot say enough about like how wonderfully kind and generous and funny uh, Luis and Roxy are and giving us their perspective on um, you know how Humbering has evolved down there in Tijuana. What the whole scene is like, and how things are improving, and how much they really want to uh, promote the idea of like, yeah, you know, hey, come, uh, come check us out and and have some fun with us uh, there south of the border. So go sit back and also find out
0: who's the better brewer. <laughs> yeah, and no, I wasn't surprised. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, well you two, it's the last, the last day of homebrew Yes. Let's introduce you to everybody,
0: Roxy.
2: Yes.
1: Give people your name. I'm sorry. Tell people your name. Oh
2: well, uh, my name is Roxy Garcia. It's actually Rosa. Uh, I go by Roxy, <laughs> but uh, yeah.
1: All right. And Luis. Uh,
3: uh, my name is Luis. Um, I'm a home brewer from Tijuana. Uh, we're part of Socal Cerveceros, Tijuana Homebrew Club, and we're sisters clubs with uh well. with class, So. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I was gonna say there's a real close relationship it feels like between THC and Quaff. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of back and forth. Uh,
3: probably, Tijuana is mostly inspired by the San Diego scene, right? So it's it's a lot of beer, it's a lot of uh, uh, people who work in 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 San Diego who is from Tijuana, so they they, you know,
1: can relate a lot. There you go. All right, now when did when did THC start? THC started. Ten years, Ten years ago. ago. Yeah.
3: We just had our anniversary party in November, I think. Yes. And uh, it was it was fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like I feel right now, so I, I remember it was fun. <laughs> um, and uh, it started with, I think, either five or six people who used to drink together at a bar. We joined late, later to, uh, like... Four years later, I joined and Roxy joined like three years, three ago. years ago.
2: So, right when I started, yeah, brewing.
3: yeah. Um, but pretty much the same guy, the same guys who started it are still around in the club. So, huh? yeah, uh, a couple of them started breweries, I think. Uh, Ludica, I don't remember which one's the other
1: one, but I think I'm not sure, but
3: Ludica for sure, yeah.
1: Huh. Well, and so tell me a little bit about the craft beer scene and do you want Because I think that's still a mystery to a lot of folks, right?
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So so one of the things that we have as an advantage is having San Diego so close, right? So pretty much uh, it must be probably the oldest it should be around either 10 or 15 years, mm-hmm. which is like not bad. And um, in that in that span, we have had a lot of breweries come in and uh, grow, and some others fade out, fade out. So, which bigger. but now we have like a steady, uh, at least like five solid, ongoing uh, breweries, and another like ten or so that are like still entering the business. Okay. So it's 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 pretty hefty, um, and it it like. Expands into Baja, like Ensenada, Rosarito, Mexicali. They have like different breweries, and they're they're pretty close together. It's pretty much a a, a brotherhood of
1: uh, of breweries. So so that works. Well, I, I think it's hard to be in the craft beer business and not have it, you know, do that, right? You know, it's like because you know, you're doing something very silly and risky, and yeah, you know, and, and everybody's leaning on each other for support. Yeah. So. Let's talk. How did you get started homebrewing? Uh,
3: well, I started homebrewing like six years ago, but I bought my first kit like seven years ago, right? So everyone has that story. When I just
1: sat in the closet. Yeah, yeah, like exactly, <laughs>
3: literally. And uh, but here's a fact: uh, most of brewers in Baja and in Mexico we start up with all grain, so we don't use a. Uh, extracts that much. Right. It's, it's easier to get grains than it is to get extracts. I don't know what's the reason. Maybe distribution or something. But uh, but most of us start that way. So everyone like starts all grains. So I had my kid <laughs> for <laughs> like a year there. And uh, one day I was like, no, no, no. I have to do this. And I think it wasn't... The first one was an amber. wasn't that bad. I think it was really sweet. So probably it wasn't uh, like well <laughs> and, uh
1: but I drank it, so I feel very proud. <laughs> that, that's always the key. I drank it. Yeah, exactly. Now, Roxy, how did you get started?
2: I started because of him. Well, I met him and through one of the members of THC also, who, who was a friend of mine, and he was brewing someday, and I was like, okay, I'll go and I'll just toss something, I don't know. So I started, we, we like different styles. Like, I like the stronger ones. He's always going for uh, blaggers and something like oh, that. Yeah, a little and I was beer like, sh- yeah. I want to do a double IPA. I want to go with <laughs> Imperial Stout. And he's like, okay, okay, let's do this. So <laughs> that's how for, he uh, let me know about the she brew competition. And he's like, you have to uh, brew your own beer because I was always just helping him. Uh, and I'm like, okay, so I have to start from scratch and look at the recipe and all of that and put together my recipe. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So, what do you want to brew? A double IPA. That's your first beer? Yeah, sure, a double IPA. So, <laughs> first beer, first gold medal at Chibro. So, that's how it started the itch for
1: yeah, learning for more order. styles. Yes. And all right. The risky question. Yeah. Who's the better brewer? Oh, she is. Like, there's no risk, like, at all. At all.
3: That's so funny because uh, when she started competing, uh, you know, it's a male-dominated yep. hobby, right? Yep. So every so often we got we got asked if if, if I was brewing her beers, right, or brewing for her, and uh, and I'm like, no, her her beers are 37 points and over. Mine I'm like. <laughs> 25 to 30. That's <laughs> that's very different. That's I'm not I'm not like doing this ghost brewing for her and keeping the crappy minds for me, right? It's like, <laughs> come on, that doesn't make sense. So, I mean, they're not crappy. I'm just not that into competition. So right. I do a little off-style thing. So
0: whatever. It's a
3: good So, yeah, she got beat by the competition bug and she's been relentless
1: <laughs> since then, man. <laughs> So, what do you think you do that's better than what he does?
2: Um, I don't know. I like to do like other things, like add uh, fruit, or for example, the pumpkin beer. Like I love making pumpkin beer, and he just goes with the laggers. <laughs> which is harder because, of course, it's a hard style to to do.
3: Yeah, and but I think you're, you're much more patient. Yeah, I think you take. More time to dial in your uh, your recipes, your whatever your grain bills. You're always like a little a little step further, right? So you have this basic whatever uh, recipe or grain bill, and you're always pushing it for like, oh well, I should do this also to this one. So I think that that's helpful a uh. lot. And I'm that's like, it. this is done. Fuck it.
2: <laughs> yes, I have this grain.
3: I'm oh, gonna sorry.
1: break some beer.
2: I'm gonna
1: okay. Yeah. So it's an eye for detail. It sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Now, you mentioned the pumpkin beer. Because yeah. we were talking about this last night. Yes, I know. So <laughs> let's talk about the pumpkin beer. Because, of
2: course, that's my right. pride and joy. Yeah, cause, <laughs>
1: all right. Pumpkin beer has a mixed reputation, shall yes. we say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, how did you get started making a pumpkin beer? And what makes your pumpkin beer so awesome?
2: Well, it started because there was a a competition within the (laughs) THC, the Tijuana Homebrew Club. There was a pumpkin challenge. So you had to make uh, beer with pumpkin, whatever style. So that's how it uh, started. And a friend of mine, uh, Rita, who is also a a great homebrewer, she told me that she added uh, sweet potato to her mix. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. And I just, instead of doing um, brown sugar, I sprinkle my. I do pumpkin, uh, the real pumpkin nut puree. Mm-hmm. So I do put it in the oven, sprinkle some brown sugar, molasses, like piloncillo. Yep. And it goes to the mash, it goes to the boil.
1: Mm-hmm. And then the sweet potatoes you get in there too, right? Yeah. It's, it's a mix of both. Okay. Oh, so the, the sweet potatoes are in the oven yes. as well getting roasted. Yes. So all right, you get in that concentration. Yeah. It's
2: yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really fun to make. Uh, the first time that I was making it, I had no idea what I was doing. I'm like, I've never uh, used pumpkin for nothing. Like, even <laughs> to open it, he's seen me like with the knife. I'm like, Ah.
3: The yeah, size the of your... Stabbing
2: that pumpkin yeah. to Pump, try to open it.
3: Pumpkin's the size of
1: your torso, and you're, like, going <laughs> at it. And, and I'm like, okay. Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> so I'm stepping back. I'm walking away from this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, i like, he okay, He's yeah. like,
2: I'm going to have to wake up at 7 a.m. Oh, to that, put oh, the pumpkin yeah, the in the oven, because it. Ha- I didn't know that it, it took, like, a long time to... To yeah, cook through, yeah. To cook through, and, and I'm
3: like and, like... and the thing is that, uh, in order to have it ready for, like, October, you have to go as soon as the first... Like uh, Pumpkin. pumpkins hit the market, right? Yep. So it's pretty much the middle of the summer, and she's baking stuff in the kitchen yeah. at the, like seven in the morning Sunday, so she can start her brew day like at ten. And I'm like, oh, this is insane.
1: Um, yeah. Well, but again, dedication to the cause, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> expression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and then I think, so the base is an amber yeah okay I was going to say if I remember correctly it was an amber yeah you got the peon you got the, the pumpkin you got the sweet potato which I love because uh, I'm from the, the south and you know sweet potato pie is a thing Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then an amber base and what like what sort of spice are
2: pumpkin spice
1: so like the cinnamon, whole, mix. The whole yeah. mix yeah so cinnamon nutmeg mace ginger yeah. that, that sort of thing yeah 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 uh, and then what do you ferment it with? Like uh, uh, English yeast, American yeast?
2: Yeah, I, I do Fermentis 05.
1: Okay, like the US 05. So, yeah, the Galileo. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, it's usually that one. Because uh, that's the part you haven't like tweaked a little bit more. You're, you're keeping with that yeah. so
1: far. Okay. And then how many years now have you been making it? Has that been for this whole for time? Three years, yes. years, yes. Yes. years. And... Then if you're thinking about it for this year, because I mean, I guess it's going to be right around the corner, right? Yeah. Because yeah, we're starting to head into that warm season. Yes. What uh, What are you going to tweak, or or are you going to tweak?
2: Um, I don't. Well, I was trying to make a porter, a pumpkin porter. Yeah. So I think that's the the tweak that I'm going to make. That I'm going to make another base instead of going with the
1: amber. We're jumping ship. Yeah, <laughs> we're going someplace else. <laughs> <love> <laughs> So, pumpkin porter, the maligned pumpkin beer style, but yet you love it and you've, you've been doing it and actually winning awards for it, so that's good? Yes, yes. Now, beyond the pumpkin, what else are you known for? You said earlier about fruits. Uh, uh,
2: mm, cider? Oh, a little bit. I've been making a little bit of cider. Uh, I do uh love to make the cream The Vienna Morrison. Lager also.
1: Vienna and Mercen are pretty oh, much
3: yeah those, those are like pretty much a regular
1: like rotation. Well, it's funny because you're talking the double IPA and the big beers, you know, but the amber, I mean, amber's not necessarily a big beer, and then now we're also getting into the lagers. I know beers, right? which are, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know. yeah I'm just I'm just like I know should like turning
3: to like to the crisp side. But. Yes, the crispy boys. Yeah, I do
2: love to make also the cream ale. I love it to have it at home because it's uh Easy to drink, beer. crushable beer yeah. for summer.
1: Yeah. Oh, right. well, look! You don't have to convince me about the value of a cream ale. I love cream <laughs> ale. Listeners of the podcast, will know I love cream <laughs> ale. Oh, show on cream um, ale. So, all right. If we're going to boil down your philosophy, we'll start with you, Louise. When you when you are sitting down to make a beer, uh huh. What what's your guiding principle? Uh,
3: my guiding principle would be. Would I drink one or two beers of this style, of certain style, right, or certain recipe I'm making? So I always go with the idea of uh, I want to brew something that I can have two or more beers of, right? So I want something like either crispier or cleaner or whatever. That's that's the main reason I go with those kind of beers, yeah. it's like, Beer for home. That's pretty much it. I just, I just want something to be like easy to pour at home.
1: I want beer, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't want hardware. I just want beer, man. So. Roxy?
2: Will this get me a medal?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah. That's well, perfect. Well, so, I mean, uh, speaking of which, I mean, because, okay, Shebrew's up in uh, Portland, right? Yes. Portland, the, the queen of beer down in, in Sacramento. I mean, yeah. uh, there's a, a number of these competitions now. Do you have a secret weapon recipe that you're going to try for to get another medal with? Not really. It's just going to be whatever you got at yeah, the time.
2: Yeah, yeah, whatever I have at home. Uh, this um, past year for Shiro, I enter. I was going to enter four beers. My cream ale was not ready, so I had to send only three that I had. The three plates, and I was so happy with it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know, right? Yeah, that's a pretty good batting average. Yeah, you got to be proud of that.
2: Oh yeah,
3: I I helped her uh, do the statistics for last year's, and I was like, oh my god, it's a lot. It was like seventy something entries, like thirty five medals, so it was a little under half.
2: Thirty two competitions. Oh yeah, that was it. Yeah. Like seventy something entries, twenty seven medals. I
3: oh, there you go. Yeah. And and then we did the like.
2: The economic economic
3: statistics of it. Because it's expensive, man. It can get
2: expensive. To cheap cheap everything, to get it ready, Mm
3: -hmm. make sure that
2: it's not damaged. That's the the quality control that I usually
1: go to. Packaging. Yeah, packaging is my... Packaging is your your (laughs) cigarette weapon? Yes. Yes. There you go. I mean, look, that's part of the reason why I don't compete because, one, I'm extraordinarily lazy. And then two, I look at the the shipping cost for everything. I'm like, yeah, mm. yeah. And, yeah, th- and it's, then it's, also, I think, you know, every beer I ship out is one I can't have for myself. That's, yeah. that's what me. He that's me. yeah. Yes.
3: that's exactly me. So last year, uh, it was like heavy on competition. I mean, 2020 was supposed to be like her competition year, but it, something happened around yeah. somewhere yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but then we were like, oh, everything's coming back together again. So let's try it this year, right? So that was 2022. And the whole year was competition. We were brewing probably once a week. Mm-hmm. Like pretty much every weekend we were brewing. And we were chipping probably three times a month. So it was absurd amount of uh of effort and,
2: yeah, and passion. and we have to and, cross and, the I mean, beer over. Right. Because, oh, yeah. Uh,
3: is this is this like a... Legally binding thing, because <laughs> uh, we sort of have to get across the border with – I mean, we're allowed to cross with a six-pack, right? Right. And you know how your uh, postal service is not friendly with us, right? So we have to do that double double dipping into something s- borderline illegal. So
2: <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm shipping yeast samples. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: glassware.
1: Glassware. We do we do glassware. group like- yeah. decorative bottles filled with oil. Yeah. 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 There's all all sorts of dodges people put about that, but uh, but that is true. Because I was when you were t- talking about the shipment, I was like, okay, well then we also got the border. Yeah. Well, oh, that's a whole other ball, actually. So, yeah, you guys you guys are kind of skipping over that stuff, which is good. Um, so Roxy, for people out there who are going to compete, uh, or have that passion for it, what would you say is your biggest recommendation to them?
2: My biggest competition?
1: No, the biggest recommendation.
2: Oh, recommendation. Uh, we'll just keep brewing, keep sending beer, uh, share it. Share it with people also if you have the chance so they can taste it and let you know if it's a good beer to compete no. or not. So you can also get a chance of, if you're not tasting it, at least someone else can get no. to try it and mm. see that. I, yesterday I, I brought a couple of beers already not catch one, but... You were not there, <laughs> so it's I. I was so happy to see that people were liking the beer that I make, the beer that I won medals with it, and it's like sharing is scaring. So,
3: and uh, I think uh, for uh, competitions, uh, value the feedback. Yeah, because feedback. We have had like millions of uh, feedback yep. pages, but check uh, your judges. But yeah, exactly. Check so value what's good. Uh, do something with that. And that's always uh, Roxy, is Always seeking like the good review, not not the good right. evaluation, the, the right? Good the good critique. The good critique. Yes. yes. And that's, Something that that's, will help me. Yeah, sure. and that have help, help you a lot to yeah. be like a better brewer. I think being open to that, like push you forward to the next
1: level. Like, Competition wise and stuff. But well, I'll also throw in uh, a reminder about Denny's favorite tactic back when he used to uh, compete. Was he would make sure he still had some of the beer in the same package, like you know, bottle it up, same same package, and would sit there and crack one open while reading the score sheets to go and see if he agreed with the judges or if he was getting the same thing the All judges the were doing, yeah. Then you know, using that as part of the feedback, so that's another tip out there to remind people about that. Lesson. Yeah, yeah. Um, what we used to we used to do this the first like a,
3: a few competitions with it the first ones we used to get like. If we we're going to send three, we're going to keep another two and storage in the garage. Like, right. not temperature control, right, right. just, like, throw them around so they get, like, the worst treatment possible. Because that's probably one scenario that they're going to go through, right? right. So if you're, if you're uh, sending your beer to, like, I don't know, beer or, I mean, <laughs> uh, airplane or uh package, uh, like, what delivery companies. Yeah. Uh, they're going to, they're going to, they don't not. care what they're, what that is your beard. It's a war winning, so they're going to treat it like everything else. Because
2: they but, don't uh, know it's beard. Yeah, they don't care <laughs> you're not supposed to say that. Right? But,
3: so, so part of it is, is having that, like, control sample and be kind of aggressive with it. Um, once I, I was thinking of that process and I said, oh, I'm going to, put it in the trunk of my car and leave it there for the rest of the week, right? But I was like, no, that's going to explode and that's not good for my car. So (laughs) so I did the garage in the (laughs) the brew room over there at the corner or something. that works also. All
1: right. So what's the next beer you're going to brew, Luis? Uh,
3: I think um, I want to re-brew a colch I did because we just got a... What's that? Brusilla? But this is a rest year, so we're taking it a little easier. Yep. Uh, so we got that, and the fr- first one we brew was uh, the colds I usually do. But it kind like, of, The
1: know, efficiency.
3: Oh, yeah. Efficiency went through the roof, like yep. 84%. And I was like, oh, this is an imperial cold now. So, <laughs> I mean, go. it was good. It was just like 6.4, I think. So, Just
1: slightly outsized. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm probably going to do that coach. I like it. I, I think I got it like, down to good you know, good,
1: good basis. Good. Roxy, what's the next thing you're making?
2: Vienna. A Vienna lager. We need to have that at home.
1: Yeah, again, defi- define how this was initially uh, approached and being talked about. Like, oh, yeah, no, she likes to make big beers and weird <laughs> beers. And now here you are right there with a the Vienna Yes.
2: Yeah. I need to yeah, have something exactly. crushable at
3: home. Yeah, but the thing is, yeah, you crushable. have like a 8% uh stout on the garage. And you have, uh what else? You had the IPA that came out a little weird because of the yeast. I don't remember why, but it was like mm-hmm. larger.
2: I, I froze the keg. Oops.
3: That happens. Oh, yeah, that's true. You, <laughs> you froze it. It was a
1: ice IPA. The IPA, yes. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, icing really messes with the hot character. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It was okay.
2: a Nectaron one that oh. I really wanted to try. We tried uh, just a little sample of it. Forgot the sensor outside of the fridge.
1: And yeah, that happens. Just went. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, unfortunate, and particularly with Nectaron, since yes. those hops are yes. a pain yes. to get. Got well. some
2: free yesterday.
1: So
2: <laughs> yeah, that's another one that I had to make again. So.
1: There yeah. Go. All right. Well, hey, any last words for the audience? I don't yeah. know man. Keep Stay hydrated. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh. and, it, and if people are in Tijuana how can they find THC? Do you guys have like regular events that, that
3: Yeah, the the meeting is held I think should be like the, the, the sec- last Tuesday, last Tuesday of, the month. of the month. Yeah, regularly. We have social
2: media, you can go yeah, to so look in Instagram Tijuana Homework Club. There's also a newsletter that it's on the website. It's also tijuanahomeworkclub.com. Yeah. And yeah, you can find us there. You can find also the soccer Service Heroes if you want to cross up as well and drive a little.
3: Yeah, they have <laughs> so. a lot
2: of also uh, events. And yeah, I think that uh, there's a party coming up for our anniversary. I think you were referring uh, to the Posada.
3: Oh yeah, that's because yeah. we do a
2: of course for Christmas. And <laughs> yeah, stuff. Christmas
3: party is probably the the biggest party yeah. of the year for for the club. So. Uh yeah, pretty much. Social media has everything you can you can want to know about us. There's a website you can Google us as Tijuana Homebrew Club, um, and uh, I think no, they're they're doing a very good uh, work with contacts and mm-hmm. everything. So right now everything's like really quick. You can you get a reply really quick. So
1: that's probably the best way to do so. There we go. All right. so Tijuana Homebrew Club on socials. T1HumberClub.com on the webs, and life is good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you, right.
3: if you see us around, you can ask us about it. We're happy to tell you whatever we know about anything.
1: Perfect. Thanks, y'all. Thank, Thank you man. so much. Splisher.
0: Cheers. <laughs> man, those people are so much fun to listen to, and uh, I just love the fact that Roxy started later, but uh, Luis acknowledges that she's the better brewer. But
1: if it wasn't even an acknowledgement. Like I, when I asked that question, there was zero hesitation.
0: I know, yeah. I know, man. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 she is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: and I like to, I like the fact that his whole thing about it was like, well, you know, because I just like to beer, I like to brood because I want to make the beer, yeah. and like, like I just do it, do it to get it done, and you're like, she's very, very precise about it, yeah. very considerate. So, uh, yeah. I would, I would say, look, if you get a chance to hang out with uh, Luis and Roxy or THC in general, uh, I can't imagine you having a better time because they are some very warm and generous and funny people. Uh, and, yeah, I can't wait to see what's happening down there.
0: Yep, I know, man. Uh, too bad we didn't get a chance to try any of the beer. I
1: know, I know. This is what happens. All oh, right.
0: Well. I
1: think it's time for us to close this puppy up.
0: I agree with you completely. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to be wrapping things up with a quick tip and something other. The ultimate all-in-one electric homebrewing system is here. The new Grainfather G40 can produce up to 11 gallons of beer and features all the latest advancements in homebrewing technology, including wireless control so you can monitor your brew day from the Grainfather app. With an innovative new grain basket design that improves wort flow, reaching mash efficiencies of 75% or more is easy. The 3,300-watt heating element brings your wort to a boil quickly without any scorching, and the large hop plate filter guarantees that no unwanted grain matter or hop tube reaches your fermenter. Every G40 comes standard with a high-powered built-in pump that can handle temperatures over 200 degrees Fahrenheit and a full three-year warranty that guarantees that you will be able to keep on brewing no matter what. The new Grainfather G40 is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer or online at grainfather.com. Hey, everybody welcome back it is time to get out of here and before we do that here's a little quick tip uh i recently have been brewing beer with uh, eight-year-old grain now i know that many people that would just totally freak them out uh but i had some i couldn't bear to throw it away it was mecha grade you know and you can't get that stuff anymore so uh, i recently brewed a beer with three different varieties of mecca grade malts and you know what Contrary to all those horror stories you hear, I got the same efficiency I got when it was brand new, which was, you know, in the 80% area, which is what I usually get with my system. The wort tasted great going into the fermenter. Uh, I'm going to be out there dry hopping it in a couple days, so then I'll uh, get a taste of it and see what it's like. But I just, I'm here to tell you that if you store your grain well, it can last a lot longer than the conventional wisdom says that it will. Uh, you want to especially keep it dry and cool if possible. Now, I, what I do is I leave the grain in the bags. I put the bags in these big plastic, you know, storage tubs that you see and I keep it in my garage. Uh, the garage is pretty cool for about eight or nine months of the year, maybe nine or ten. It gets hot for a while, but you know what? My experience is that this grain is still working great. Uh, I used some uh, some Weirman, uh Munich recently that was 11 years old. Same experience. Uh, always before you use old malt, chew on a few kernels. If they're crunchy, then you're in good shape with the malt. If they kind of squish in your mouth, then it's time to uh, put it out for the deer. Mm, mushy malt. Mushy malt. Doesn't everybody love mushy malt?
1: So, I mean, and I'm with you as well. Like, I have all my grain actually stored in buckets, right, with nice little tight-fitting uh, seals. They're designed for food storage. That's exactly what they're meant for, long-term storage of, of things. And I don't really have to worry about moisture around here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but you do have to worry about cool.
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, but in my particular case, my garage now is... Air-conditioned, so yay, go team, even though it's not right now because of the recording. Um, but, yeah, if you hold on to malt and you keep it in good shape, it will last you a surprisingly long time. This is also even true of pre-milled malt, although with the caveat, pre-milled malt does not last nearly as well as whole mold.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, so, we did an experiment on this years ago and uh, found out that Brees says that their pre-milled malt lasts two years, which is again, a lot longer than most people think, uh, but not as long as unmilled malt for sure.
1: Yep. So there you go. Keep your grains cool. Keep them dry. Particularly important. Uh, and uh, they will hang out with you for a good long while. It's almost like we figured out how to dry grain to make it last. Mm. All right. And now from our quick tip to something other, and something other for me this week is absolutely 150% throwback (laughs) material, right back to my childhood, Uh, and that is my wife and I have been sitting down and watching sort of almost in alternating order episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack, and everybody's favorite little lady serial killer, Murder She Wrote. Oh, yeah. I will say two things I've noticed on rewatch is, one... Oh, man, there was a lot of satanic panic all over Unsolved Mysteries at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't quite remember that much of it, but uh, I do remember the whole general thing. Uh, keep in mind, things are scary. Ooh. Uh, also, Robert Stack's voice, still a fantastic thing to listen to. Um, and then with Murder, She Wrote, I kind of completely forgotten how much Murder, She Wrote does not actually happen in Cabot Cove, Maine.
0: Oh, yeah, man. And, I watched it again uh, a few years ago, and uh, yeah, Jessica is always traveling all over. Because let's face it, if she stayed in Cabot Cove, there wouldn't be anybody left there, right? Because they've got to have a murder every week. It's a small town. They're going to kill everybody off. So she's got to go yeah. other places to see people die.
1: Yeah, I mean, Cabot Cove, Maine, actually safer than Midsummer in, in the UK. <laughs> um, That's right. But uh, no, well, and of course, the other thing is now that I live here in Los Angeles, and obviously I didn't when the show was was first airing, uh, I laugh at just how many how many times I can go and take a look and go, uh, you know, for being in New Orleans, it's awfully funny that that's the Capitol Records building in Hollywood in the background. <laughs> <laughs> shh, shh. <laughs> So uh, both Unsolved Mysteries and Murder, She Wrote are both available on Peacock uh, for streaming. So if you have a Peacock subscription, you can totally go watch them there. There's some umpteen billion episodes on Unsolved Mysteries. And never forget, Murder, She Wrote lasted for 12 seasons. And that was 12 full old school television seasons, which meant like 20 episodes, 24 episodes per season. Yeah. So there's plenty of old retro content there. And I have to admit, It's just been kind of comfort food.
0: (laughs) Comfort food for you. My regular viewing for me.
1: (laughs) There there you go. So, yep. Unsolved Mysteries, Murder, She Wrote, Peacock.
0: Cool. Okay, let's get out of here. Thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. That's also where you can click on the Patreon link and throw us a few bucks for our charity. Don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're all over the place. Drew hangs out on the homebrewing subreddit and the Slack Homebrewing channel. Uh, you can find me hanging around on Facebook, the AHA forum, and a bunch of other places. If you want to ask us a question or suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or even just rant and rave, we love those. You can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com, or if you want to get a hold of each of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And of course, like Drew mentioned earlier, you can always leave us a voicemail or send us a text to 626 765 one That's 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky.
1: And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.